0: Hey everybody, my name is David Boris,
2: And I'm Frankie C
0: And this is Everybody Sucks The podcast where we explore the struggles and triumphs of the journey from amateur to professional
2: People think that artists are born great at what they do But the truth is, in the beginning Everybody everybody
0: Sucks Hey everybody, we're here today with my buddy great artist and a great producer and a great everything, Troy Sampson. Troy Sampson is a pop songwriter, top liner, and music producer based in Vancouver, Canada. He has co-written and or produced songs with Armin Van Buren, Nicky Romero, Simon Ward, The Strumbellas, Kelly Rowland, Olivia Penalva, Maggie Zabo, Soul Decision, Smash Mouth, and many more. He's been published with Reliant Music, Cobalt Music, Hygnosis music network one and warner chapel music aside from writing and producing he also currently works as a and r slash production at reliant music with a career spanning over 30 years he's built an outstanding reputation with commercial success in canada and all around the world troy welcome to everybody sucks <sighs>
1: Hello.
2: Cue the applause sound right
0: there. Thank (laughs) you. uh, Actually, Frankie, that'd be amazing if we did have some sort of like stadium (laughs) applause thing. Can
1: Can I just have the golf clap? Well, you can get all the claps,
0: Troy, because we're really happy that you're here today. And one of the great things about this show is we have people that have, you know, are all working in music, but they have so much different experience to bring to the table and they do so many different things. And you've put on a lot of different hats. So we're looking forward to diving in and looking at you and all of your hats.
1: All my hats?
0: Yeah, all, right. all the different hats. I didn't um, bring all of them today. But. Yeah, you didn't? Okay, well, I'll try to get through that one at least. Troy, why don't you take us back way to the beginning. You know, how did you come about falling in love with music or even just sort of knowing that music's something
1: you wanted to do? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Our pleasure. I really appreciate this. It all started back in the day... I was like four or five years old and my uncle in the Philippines had this top 40 band that they used to tour all around Asia. And they'd put me like on a chair and, Hey, let's get Troy to sing a little song, you know, and like, "Eh." they'd be like clapping. And I think it, I think it started like imprinting on me. And then years later, my uncle, same uncle, when we moved to Canada here, he would like come over to the house and he would, play Beatles songs. And he'd tell me, hey, uh, you know, play the Beatles. And he would forced me to do it by ear. Mm. Just follow the chords. You-, you can hear them like it was a given, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just started learning how to play Beatles and and all these chords. I didn't even know I was getting an education in music. And then fast forward to high school, it was like I started getting into bands because I-, I sucked at sports. <laughs> <laughs> I moved from a school, so I didn't know anybody at the school. My style sucked. I was that kid wearing a uh, wide pants when no one else was wearing wide pants, you know, that kind of thing. I pretend to. And then um, that really actually got me into songwriting and the band thing, because I was like the main songwriter for the band.
0: What instruments were you playing by high school?
1: Uh, When I was in elementary school, I signed up for guitar lessons. And this crazy outgoing Italian guy came to our house with a big box. And he said, oh, you've got to check this out. And it, he pulls out an accordion. <laughs> Bro, he's like, you should learn the accordion. And my father fell in love with the accordion. It's like, I'm going to sign him up for accordion. So I'm like, I don't want accordion.
2: The greatest songwriting tool.
1: Accordion. OMG, yeah, like Weird <laughs> Al. Yeah, Weird Al. So I learned accordion because my dad signed me up. And then um, I said, Dad, I, I really don't want to play accordion anymore. So he signed me up for organ lessons. And at the same time, I was actually learning guitar with my uncle. Paul McCartney was my favorite Beatles guy, and Sting was, like, my god back then. Mm. So I I started playing bass. I thought bass would be cool, you know, slapping the bass. (laughs) And that became my instrument in high school. I thought I could sing in high school, so I was the lead singer in the bands that I was in as well.
2: So you, like, kind of dabbled in all of the instruments at an early age.
1: Yeah, I could pick things up really quick, but I think guitar and bass and being in a rock band was kind of like, okay, it only took me like 10 years to get into this, but I'm finally playing guitar in front of people instead of the accordion or the organ. <laughs> well, and when, when
0: you're in high school, how easy was it to find like sort of like-minded musical people?
1: We always would jam. That was the one thing that I could socialize with. It's not like I was in with the popular kids or the cool kids, but it was like, oh, Troy's got a bass and a bass amp. Let's have Samson come over and and jam. And then I started meeting other musicians in high school. And then um, I ended up joining forces with this awesome guitar player named Joe Cruz. And he became uh, like my bandmate for years. Just an amazing guitar player, actually.
0: Was this your first band?
1: Yeah, we were both 17-ish. And we had this amazing drummer who was like 15. I wanted the band to sound like The Police. And the drummer wanted to sound like rush <laughs> okay and he had like 15 toms every feel like, brrrr, like, it was like that.
2: <laughs> that's a good combo though
1: <laughs> yeah it was crazy so we started getting into battle of the bands and all these things like we wanted to be like the police so we, i would write songs like the police they're all like wannabe police songs but that's where i learned how to write songs really
0: were other people writing songs with you or were you like well we don't have any songs i'm just gonna go and write them myself
1: the guitar player would come in with one or two songs. But I was like, you know, dude, I didn't have much of a social life. So I would literally come home from high school. I would get in my room with a snack and I would just write on. My dad would always bring all this computer paper from work. And I would just write on computer paper until it would fill. And then I would look out and it would be like nighttime. I still have those papers, wow. actually, of all these old little songs and uh, it just became my hobby it was just something i loved to do
0: did the high school band turn into your college band was it the same group of guys that kind of kept it together during that period
1: the guitar player and i ended up starting another band years later and we started getting into like u2 and in excess and i like the cure and all these kind of 80s bands so i just started trying to write songs like that and then we just started playing around town It started becoming more like clubs and weird places. (laughs) It's funny because we we didn't really know the business side of things. So we just stayed local. But it was fun and um, it was very formative during that time.
2: So this song that you brought in that we're going to play, is this kind of from that era?
1: It's so funny. We wanted to sound cool, so we called ourselves Club of Rome. Nice. <laughs> that's a, that's Club, of, <laughs> Club of Rome. Club of Club Rome. Room. Ladies
0: and gentlemen, Club of Rome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: because I'd heard that Club of Rome was a think tank. I didn't even know what a think tank was. At the time, I think my keyboard player, he had bought this, like, giant 8-track recorder. It, was, it looked like a desk. And I set it up in my room. And um, I would uh, demo the songs that I would write so that I could bring it to the band and play it to them. And they would just pick out the parts and then embellish on the parts. So the song that I brought to you guys today is one of those songs.
2: And this was all done on one of those eight-track recorders at, like, your house?
1: Okay, I'm getting flashbacks. It's my my parents' house. It's a townhouse, right? It's, like, in the middle of the summer. It's hot. <laughs> it's in my bedroom. And um, did I have a guitar? I Actually, I had a, an acoustic guitar with a little pickup. And I didn't have a proper electric guitar, so I didn't even have a distortion pedal. So I, I, I had this realistic Radio Shack DJ mixer because I used to DJ back then too. And I found that if you could, if you plug it into the mic and just blasted the preamp, it would distort like almost like a fuzz guitar, you know. <laughs> Wow! So that's the sound. That's the sound in there. I didn't even know what a compressor was. I didn't know anything. I, I had a little Yamaha drum machine.
2: Very eighties. Yes. Yeah, very eighties. <laughs>
1: and, and and of course, I played bass on this too. So nice. yeah. All right. Should we okay. play it? I'm gonna. I'm going brace myself. Are we doing
2: it? Yeah. <laughs> You're like stop wake it whenever, it, wake whenever you want painless, <laughs> please. Okay. Embrace the suck. This is without love. There's that distortion. Oh, that
0: that distortion's fantastic. That you told the story is so great.
2: I'm impressed with the 8-track situation.
1: Dude. The only compression I'm getting is tape compression, I think. So you're
2: singing here, right?
1: That's me, yeah. I'm trying to be my best Michael Hutchins impersonation. That's
0: really in excess right there. Totally. I'm totally ripping
1: up Wow.
2: So you said this was based off of a, a Bible verse, right? Like the lyrics were?
1: Yeah. I was really big into U2 back in the day. And uh, they had a song, I think it's called 40. And it was a Psalm 40. And I'm not a religious person, although I was raised Catholic. But I do remember uh, Corinthians 13, which is love is patient, love is kind, you know, that whole thing. Right. The wedding one? Yeah, exactly. In fact, we, we had that one in, at uh, my wife and I's wedding as well. And we had, um our keyboard player was actually a free Methodist as well and a very religious guy. And so I thought I'd get a kick of writing a song like that, you know, just using the words of that thing and trying to make it sound like... In excess. (laughs) I'm doing air quotes here.
2: (laughs) What was going through like your old cassettes? What was that process like for you? Just kind of finding... What to oh, share?
1: Honestly, my wife was like, are you going to bed? Because I was like, <laughs> I think I was up till 3 in the morning because I, oh, I hadn't looked at them in ages, right? And I don't have a cassette player. I actually found a cassette player from Value Village uh, a few months ago. And to my surprise, it still works.
2: Oh, well, that worked out.
1: I know. And so I just started throwing it in, and I hooked it up through my home studio here, and I came across all these old songs that I'd forgotten about. It's funny because you, you listen to them, and you're like, at the time, you thought, yeah, this is my best song, you know? Like, Yes. And then you're listening and going, oh my God, that sucks so bad. (laughs) Like, you know, like it was like, how did I... Like you can hear all the different mistakes, all the things that you would have changed or the things that you would have just... Let go. <laughs>
2: I always felt like if there was a way where you could take the confidence and excitement that you can get in those like early phases oh. of doing music and then like pick it up and transplant it to the later years where you're doing it more professionally. Like that would be the perfect feeling. Oh, that'd be amazing. But it's like right. it comes with the territory. When it's new, you have a little more confidence.
1: <laughs> it's that ignorance is bliss thing, yeah, you know. That's exactly right. It's and, nice though. Uh, it is. <laughs> I think it's that um innocence it's like you're just this new writer and you think i've got this eight track or whatever it is you know or i've got a new daw you know that I've, and i'm working and every song is amazing until you realize three years later ten years later oh that mm-hmm. wasn't so amazing
2: <laughs> i'm curious with the eight track thing like mm-hmm. <laughs> did you have to get all the takes like in one take then or were you able to like dub in
1: oh, like different okay. instruments
2: one at a time
1: i got so good at it at punching in because I'm, I'm the worst singer. Like, it, like, like that took me forever because... And it actually taught me how to produce vocals because if I could make my vocals sound decent, I could make a good singer or a great singer friggin' amazing. So it, it really helped me develop my vocal production by producing myself. Again, it wasn't intentional, but I was like, I think about that all the time. It's like, I had to make myself sound good and I had to find out how to... Like, the A track analog has for people who've done on analog is like they know there's a little ramp it it ramps up to the record so you have to pop you have to pop it in if you're going to punch something in and i got so good i could punch in between syllables it was just wow yeah it was a skill and sometimes you'd miss and it'd be like oh now i gotta redo the whole thing it's just like now you just zoom
2: in on pro tools
1: absolutely i like the things that we we take for granted these days I wonder if we'll be talking about AI the, the same way, you know? Like yeah, that's probably. true. Oh it's yeah, I couldn't come up with a chorus, so I let the AI. So the uh, robot did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> chat my GPT or something. I think people. <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I think people are already jumping on the chat. I I can't do it. It feels like I break from the song Right? right? I've tried like a couple times just for a joke with like buddies yeah. and been like, yeah, let's just try to see what it comes up with. But I find it like ruins the the mojo of it. Like I'm just all of a sudden I'm not like connecting with you. I'm connecting with like this. AI robot and it's telling me what to say I don't know
1: it's it's a scary and exciting time yeah I'm more excited than scared I have to say I think it's like the early days of sampling and samplers what the legalities of that and and right now as a person who's gone through that I'm like I really want to embrace that as much as I can right because I don't want to be left behind I think it's so important to to know your tools like I was writing with this producer yesterday and they were showing me, like, all these cool plugins i would never seen. I was like, oh, that's awesome. And, like, and I was just, like, a little kid. I was like, what is that? Like, And he was so generous about sharing the knowledge with me of cool things I'd never worked with.
2: Yeah, the world's going to keep moving.
1: It's a funny balance, though, isn't it? Because it's like you also need to, like, know the things that you've got. Like, I've got a very minimal studio here at home, you know, so I know how to work logic like crazy. You know and get the best out of it i don't really have a lot of outboard gear and all that stuff so um it's just no know, knowing how to maximize what you've got i think that's that's a big lesson for me that's that goes back to the a-track it's like like the delay that you're hearing on my vocal is a is a guitar pedal <laughs> that's, <what laughs> oh, that's really cool <laughs> yeah some guitar pedal and i'm trying to dial in like what it could sound like you know but there's no there's no compression it's just kind of funny
0: it's funny that, because we're looking at this demo and you're kind of like, oh, god, as all our guests do, they all cringe because yeah. they got to hear themselves. But, I mean, this is the music you were making that eventually led to Johnny Jett. And so obviously, like, even though we're kind of cringing at it, this music still was a stepping stone. Was this your first real signing as a, as a musician, as a creator?
1: Yeah, it, it was a process. It was a process because I, you know, I, I was in a band and I think it was playing at a local pub and one of the partners from Johnny Jet came up to our band and said, hey, do you write pop songs? Would you write for other people? And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm with this label. And I was like, oh, a label in Vancouver. That's I thought I had to go to L.A. for that. And I was so excited. I said, yeah, for sure. I, I had no idea. I had no idea what it was like to write pop songs and stuff. But I said, yeah, I write songs. He asked me, um, who writes all your songs? And I'm like, I, I wrote all the songs, right? So, And he just said, well, come down and meet everybody here at the label and let's see if we can set you up to write some songs, you know, so that's how it started. And the level of the uh, the demo sounded pretty much <laughs> like that demo, you know?
2: I would think that at the time though, like this would be head and shoulders above demos they're getting probably from like a recording standpoint.
1: Maybe, I, I mean, like this is where my naiveness was like, how do these demos sound so good? And why does my demo not sound like a record? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Why is that vocal so upfront, but it just so steady?
2: Studio magic, I guess.
1: Yeah, I just, I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. I hadn't gone to school. I didn't go, we didn't really have the money to go to like a, a recording school. Right. And so I just kind of learned on the fly. And these guys were so generous to me. They said, hey, look, we've got a little studio here uh, at our office. Tell you what, you you go in there on Saturdays and record your demos. And they had a 16 track. So I was like, ooh, 16 track.
2: (laughs) You're like putting distortion on everything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Where's my my Radio Shack mixer? No, so it was like, it was was pretty cool. And um, I would lug all my, whatever equipment I have over every Saturday. bring it to that studio and then lug it back home to north delta but i just loved it i was just it was kind of like free studio time do you think this is the first time
0: in your journey that you really were like i'm a producer i'm becoming a producer not just a writer but also like a producer are you like thinking along the lines of i'm not just becoming a better writer i am becoming like someone who's going to produce other artists or are you just doing the demos just because you know you need them
1: yeah it was just out of pure need And it's kind of funny because like me becoming a producer uh, became was so organic. Uh, The label turned to me and said, "Hey, look, we have this hip hop uh, group, and we have a tiny budget to produce their album, and we want you to produce the album. John's going to do the big the big singles, but uh, we'd like you to produce the rest of the album. And because I just knew how to turn the machine on, like." Like, you know how to you know how to turn that machine on so. <laughs> and I said yes sure let's do it and then I was like I had no clue what I was doing but I was just doing what I was doing and um, that was like the first real album I got paid for and then when people would go oh who's the producer it's like oh it's Troy it's like oh yeah I guess I'm a music producer it was just kind of like an unconscious but natural thing that happened
2: so at that point were you balancing the way you were balancing writing and producing is like writing first and then kind of producing when you had that studio time or when you kind of got the gigs for that
1: yeah i just um it just came in uh, like hand in hand like i would co-write with the band and then there were other acts there and i was always trying to pitch songs for the other acts that were under that label the big thing that happened to me was uh the head engineer for the label decided they were going to move back to uh alberta and they said, Well, Troy knows how to run that the big studio. Why don't we get him to do it? Like let's let's make him the engineer. And I'm like, Okay, sure. This is, it's like yeah. And, and now
2: you got twenty four chances to work with. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
1: but they had a giant board and i remember the first session i had big shout out to john webster who's a legend here in vancouver yeah Uh, he was you know tom cochran you know he was like my first real session and he was the guy who actually set up the studio and i was so nervous because i didn't know where to plug in anything and he's looking at me and i'm looking at him and he's like you don't know how to run the studio, do you? <laughs> <I'm> like, no. <laughs> and I was like about to cry, and he's like, "Oh, let me let me show you out." And he just showed me the ropes. He was so generous, oh. and he's always been like that. Yeah, he's a great guy. He actually taught me in this industry: you just have to be generous with all your knowledge, be an open book, because um, that's just the way to be. And he was like that, and I've always been like that with other people. So pay it forward. Yeah with the knowledge yeah he was he was such a he's still a great guy he's still I, I still call him like a helpline he's like a mentor to me as well I'll never forget that
0: I remember uh, I was I was in a band for like a, uh, a forgotten decade and uh, John Webster played on the album when we recorded it I got to know him very well great pleasure
1: a guy's a legend I mean he's he's played in Aerosmith on ACDC I think yeah. like yeah. just crazy bands that you yeah. you don't even know like it's just he's yeah. just one of those guys
0: How many years were you with them, with this label?
1: I want to say about almost eight years, nine years. Again, it was just really organic. It was just like year after year. And then I became an engineer there. And then I'd start working on records. And then um, the label owner would come in and say, hey, you know, we need to demo something today by the end of the day. And I'd learn how to program and do all these things. And then by the end of it, it was kind of like I started feeling confident. And at the same time, it was like imposter syndrome the whole time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I'm a producer. So, uh, you know, there's just so much to learn. But I've been, I was there, I want to say eight to, to nine years
0: what happened or where did you go like what what was your next transition from there cuz now you cuz it sounds to me like you this was your this sounded like your schooling this sounds the way you're you're talking about it this sounds like that education that you couldn't afford to go to school but you had it there at this place and so you're Bro, leaving w- Johnny Jett and you're like You're Like you said, I know there's the imposter syndrome. We all suffer with that all the time. But you are. It's clear you're leaving that place a professional, a working professional in a variety of of realms. So where do you go next? What does it launch you into?
1: It gets a little fuzzy, but I think the label itself kind of closed. I think it closed down or something happened to the label. And for years, I just floated in another band. I started in another band. And I'd been doing all this pop music, and I wanted to get back to my rock roots. And I just joined this band with the same guitar player, a band called Jude. And it was very gritty. It was like Lenny Kravitz Mm. kind of vibes, you know? Cool. Like guitars, and I was singing in my chest voice. I had discovered my chest voice. And we would record. And You know, the thing about Lenny Kravitz, when I first heard his his first record, um, I just loved how he would keep all the bad notes. Like all the off keynotes, you know, on the on his first album. It's
2: where the personality is. Well
1: yeah, but like like really you know, oh, like voice cracks and everything. There's a song called Sitting on Top of the World, I think it's called. Where his voice just cracks in the intro and it's just beautiful. So it just mm-hmm. brought me back to my old Beatles records, my old you know, like there's so many imperfections in the Beatles records too, right? So I was actually working at a little garage studio in Vancouver at the time. And so I would sneak my band in in the middle of the night and <laughs> we'd record in the middle of the night. That's amazing. And uh, we, that's how we created our demos.
0: And so while you're doing this then and you're, you're back in the band thing, are you thinking to yourself, I need to get back writing for other people, I need to get back producing for other bands, or are you just kind of letting the universe unfold as it should or as it might?
1: I was in my mid I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was, I th- I thought the band might be something big one day. Right. It wasn't until a little while later the same owner of the company of Johnny Jet started another company called um I believe it was called Plum and uh you know they produced like biff naked records and they asked me to engineer for them again and then uh oh my god this is where it gets really crazy because they would do like hip hop songs, and um, they created this kind of prefab band called D Crew. And long story short, I started rapping. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I was gonna bring some of that, but God, I kind uh, of I do want to, oh, to hear that. Oh man, I would
2: love to hear that. Oh dude,
1: yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not ashamed of the rapping, I, and and I'm very grateful for all that opportunity that came from that. But I was writing songs and. I, I I found myself pop, writing pop songs again for that label, and then shortly after that, I met this guy from Germany, and he became a fast friend of mine. And he was a songwriter, and we ended up going to L.A. And long story short, we ended up uh, getting a publishing deal with Warner Chapel Hamburg. Wow! <laughs> I ended up living in Hamburg for two years and became all of a sudden I'm like a I'm I'm a music producer songwriter in a two million dollar facility, and I'm like. Okay, this is pretty cool. Like you know what I mean? Like this is no no more sixteen tracks, no more eight tracks,
2: no more imposter syndrome.
1: Uh, still a little bit of that.
2: <laughs> yeah, that lingers, doesn't it? That, that
1: lingers. <laughs> I just embrace that now. It's like you know what. We're living in the matrix, anyways. So these are all avatars. So I, I figure, you know, one to just just enjoy the ride, right? So
0: give us a sense of what uh, Warner Chapel Hamburg was like. I mean, this is kind of interesting. A lot of people don't realize that there's all these other sort of writing and production divisions in these major major uh, music companies. It'd be interesting to give us a sense of. So you go to Hamburg, and here you are. What?
1: Oh gosh. Okay. So really, Warner Chapel was just the publishing side of this. Uh, this label, this independent label named Booyah Music, and um, what had happened was the owner of the owner of Booyah Music, a guy named Tony Katur, he he was in LA shooting a music video, and my buddy, who's a great talker, like just really the gift of gab, and a great businessman, played our demo. We had written some songs together, and they liked us so much that he, the the guy from Booyah Music flew us to Germany and offered us. a uh, producer contract and a publishing contract with Warner Chapel. And then we ended up like, we lived there and I would be in the studio like 16 hours a day, like no exaggeration, just... Because I, I figured if my boss is still at the studio, I should be there too. You know, like if, if the owner of the the company is working that hard, I should be at the studio. Mm. It was great. And that's when was...
2: you started rapping in German? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but they did, they did have a German rapper and uh, no, I, I was just... All purely behind the scenes there, actually. But the funny thing is the, um uh, the, the, uh, the rap group that had started in Vancouver that I'd left behind, they started getting like top 10 hits in, in Canada. <laughs> no way. Yeah. They started getting. get, dude, it was, it was so weird. And, um, like The
2: second I left.
1: Guys. I know. So it was like, you know, so my, my, my cousin, Eric, he actually could rap and, uh, he kind of looks like me, so I told the label, "Look, I'm not gonna be here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Germany and pursue this." But my cousin Eric can feel like pretend he's me. <laughs> so he went on tour with Salt and Pepper and all these like. What? Yeah, dude, it was like he's calling me from you know the middle of the U.S. and he's like, "Oh, I'm I just met Beyonce or something." I'm, like it was bananas, and I'm like in the studio, like, "What? I'm here. <laughs> it's three a.m. in Germany," and I'm like. Editing vocals, you know, like, good for you.
0: Did you have any writing credits on the songs that they were actually going top 10? Or were these songs, like, after you had contributed different songs?
1: Did I? Yeah, b- yeah, of course, because I, I wrote the raps to it. It was so funny because they would say, look, uh, we just need to fill in these eight bars with a rap. A fill-in rap, like a like a, a dummy rap or whatever. Can you write a little rap? And I'm like, okay. So I would just would write something, you know, like... Everybody groove as we rock the show, you know, like that kind of thing. And <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, well, they're not going to use this, right? <laughs> I love it. I but, but, it. But the producer, you know, like John and, and and the people at the label were like, oh, this is amazing. This is great. He sounds like Mace, you know. So I'm like, uh, okay. And it's like, well, and we'll pay you to do this. And I was like, oh, okay, well, then I'll do it for sure, you know? Sold.
0: Yeah. And then meanwhile, what's coming out of, what type of music is coming through Hamburg that you're working on? Like, if you're doing 16-hour days, like, is it, because, you know, obviously Germany has a massive EDM scene, things like that. Is that stuff coming through there, or is it more just straight pop or what?
1: The the label in particular was really into R&B. And so we would write, like, R&B hip-hop songs, you know, we didn't call them top liners back then it would just be like your songwriter but i would be like the top liner we had a really great group of producers uh we had a team and ernest was like our our um like engineer programmer uh, my friend ton who i went to la with he was like the business guy and like overall producer and i was like the guy just writing 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 writing, writing all the time and then producing vocals I just cut my teeth doing that. The 2 years I was there, we were just always in the studio.
0: What do you think you what do you think you take most from those 2 years in terms of your growth and development? Was it a right? was it more of a writing thing or was it just
1: just a little bit more of everything? It gave me confidence as a songwriter like big time because I was <laughs> believe it or not, I mean, I was like the the native English speaker in the room, you know. Um because everybody was German, so I mean, it was so. I had to learn logic, um, looking over the, sh- uh, the engineer's so- uh, shoulder because I, everything was written in in German. Wow! So, wow. I learned just to to work with people, to work fast. I learned to be spontaneous. Just, hey, um, so and so is coming in at like one in the morning. We need to write a song for them. I remember uh, the owner was like, okay, um, we're going to record this artist and it's got to be a hit song. (laughs) When are they coming? Uh, They're coming like tonight at six (laughs) or something like that. It's like, just, just channel it in, just channel it in. (laughs) But moments like that, you know, just spontaneous writing. And it made me, made me realize that you can just turn that on. I don't believe in writer's block. For example, like I, I just think you just got to write shitty songs to get to the good ones. Right?
0: You know, Troy. It's funny. Um, that we've you have this sort of long career, like with all. Like again, I know we were joking about hats, but you really do because you were like a DJ. You were a writer. You were an engineer. You were a producer. You worked in different genres. You rapped. Like That's a lot of different stuff, man. And like Frankie here, she is kind of multi-talented like that, but David Boris yeah. is not multi-talented like that. So uh, it's I find it very impressive with it. But what's really interesting is one of the final hats, not the final hat, but a new hat, a newish hat, is that you're yeah. doing A&R now. So you're actually now doing a more industry side too, are you not? So you're like the creator... And now you're actually like part of the business. You're a suit, quote, unquote. I'm a suit.
1: You suit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so funny because I'd lost touch uh, with John for the longest time after moving to Germany. And we were connected uh, just a couple of years ago. And he's starting this label called Reliant. I guess he. I guess it already existed. But he, you know, long story short, he had, he asked me to start engineering and producing again for him. And it just became an organic thing. You know, we were just writing pop stuff. And then it started turning into EDM. And now it's just become that. And it was just recently, like, actually during COVID maybe, where he's like, hey, we'd like to offer you uh, an A&R, head of production kind of position. And I'm thinking, I've never done that before. Let's, Let's give that a go. I know how to talk to producers. I talk producer talk. Uh, I know how to t- to ask for the right things uh with producers and um whenever we are we're dealing with assets and and stems and all that stuff and it's it's a good it's a great team you know shout out to uh Adrian Locke who's also an NR there and VP and of course John Dexter who's a good friend and uh a, a great mentor to me
2: I mean you talked about getting that knowledge kind of passed on to you and now you kind of get to like oversee some things that that you're like using that knowledge for
1: I love working with songwriters I love working with music producers of course artists too but I love getting people together like the SAC for example um, the Songwriters Association of Canada uh, once asked me to, to organize some songwriting camps I, it was just like I, I just love that because it was just like getting people together and combining people and seeing how the kind of beautiful music that they would, you know, come up with, you know, and pairing people up. Like, I love that idea of doing that. It's just kind of fun. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm hoping that it'll open more doors for me as well. Like on the A&R side and, and all that mm-hmm. stuff.
2: It's artists and repertoire, but it's artists and relationships.
1: Artisan, <laughs> is that what it stands for oh, yeah, no, there a, you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh, yeah, uh, Frankie I love that artist and relationships I never heard that one before that's really cool
1: yeah artists and relationships that you nailed it I mean that's that's what it's about right
2: yeah I mean the camp the camp thing sounds like it could be a very rewarding experience too. to like put all that together and then see the magic that gets created from it and you're like I organized this
1: we should do a camp, all, all three of us. What, what do you think? Oh yeah, we. Could. I'm st- oh, oh, I'm gosh. like camps are my favorite thing yeah. in the world. Oh, I literally
2: dude. do this to do camps.
0: Me and Frankie like, met at. A, we met at, a we camp. met at a camp. Oh yeah. really? Yeah yeah. <laughs> I think an everybody sucks songwriting camp would be pretty incredible, <laughs> actually. Oh, that would be so could, fun. We could do like I'm in. you could bring people in, and we
2: have to write the worst songs. We- no, I'm just kidding. Well, even like <laughs> you just you just do the rights,
0: but we could like do interviews, like short <laughs> interviews of everyone in the camp, just sort of like processing the camp. It could be really kind of funky, anyways. That's a that's a okay. Another time, I get a royalty right. in that? <laughs> you get it. Yeah. Well, you get you get. You're gonna be the actually. You're gonna have to organize it for us. Twice. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna okay, need, so need you. So <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm we in, just uh, pass the buck to you. Oh, I would Welcome love to that. the team, Troy. <laughs>
2: Welcome in. So, so the big three is this question. If you could give yourself at the time that you recorded the mm-hmm. demo we played first today, what would be those three pieces of advice you would give yourself?
1: One, one thing I would, I would tell my younger self is um, in every writing situation, always have a, uh, a chorus or an idea in your back pocket or a title. Because so many times we'd write amazing verses and pre's and then we'd have half an hour to write a chorus and it's like, it would just suck. Like the chorus would just, (laughs) would not be good. So that would be one, just always have a chorus. Uh, I think that's a Desmond Child uh, hack, right? One of the things I would tell my younger self is learn to say no. (laughs) I like that. I think learning to say no early while saying yes to bigger things. And then um, when you walk into a session with a stranger just hope for the best but don't be attached to the end of the session Hmm. like try to prepare to be like to write a great song but if it if the song fails or whatever whatever that session wasn't a very good session it's like just let it go it's all good you know like don't don't be like oh no they're gonna hate me you know they're never gonna invite me again I think it's so important to be able to to say, you know what? We had a great time though. Wasn't it fun? And then maybe write the next song and this next song will be be the one that you were meant to write. Yeah. Sometimes you need to write that shitty song to get to the better song. Right? Yeah.
0: True. Those are great pieces so that's of very advice. Very poignant. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I love all that. Well, it's been so lovely having you today and getting to pick your brain and share your story. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank really. you, Troy.
0: This has been fantastic. It's been great to hear from you.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh, Like, you guys are awesome. And I I wish you much success on this adventure, this journey.
2: So this is Hey Yesterday.
1: For
0: everybody out there in podcast land, I am David Boris.
2: And I'm Frankie
1: C.
0: And remember, everybody everybody
1: sucks. Everybody sucks.